Good morning again. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Luke chapter number 18 and verse number 35. Jesus is traveling down the road to Jericho. It's a very important journey because it will end in his death. As Jesus nears the city, there was a blind man sitting beside the road begging. The blind man hears a commotion and he asks, what's going on? They tell him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. What can he do to get Jesus' attention? Jesus will soon pass him by. This man was keenly aware of his need, but he also believes that Jesus can answer that need. And so he cries out, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. The people try to get him to be quiet, but he only yells louder. And Jesus heard him and asked, what do you want me to do for you? We're tempted to say, Jesus, Jesus, surely you understand this man is blind. Isn't it obvious what he wants you to do for him? But is that his greatest need? Luke's record of Jesus dealing with the blind man is supported by parallel accounts in Mark where we're told that the, the blind man's name is Barnabas and in Matthew where we're told that there were two blind men and Barnabas just happened to be the most outspoken. If you would look with me at verse number 35 as we look at the text this morning, it says, then it happened that as he was coming to Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging, and he heard a multitude passing by, and he asked what it meant, and so they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Jesus will soon pass him by. This man was blind. He sat in perpetual darkness. But he knew what his condition was. He not only knew what his condition was, but he believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And he knew that he must do something to get Jesus' attention. So this man broke the rules of polite society and he created a scene. For in verse 38, it reveals that the blind man cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now our Lord's going up to Jerusalem and he knows what awaits him there in Jerusalem. So obviously he had a lot of things on his mind. But he found the time to be concerned over one poor suffering soul. And I think it's an encouragement to us today to remember that Jesus is never too busy to be concerned about you. Sometimes those who see the most clearly are not those that stand out in society, the rich, the famous, or the powerful. In fact, this blind man stands in stark contrast to the rich young ruler that we looked at in verses 18 through 24. In his choice of words, 
Jesus, son of David. The blind man is recognizing who Jesus was. That he is the Messiah. He is the promised one of the line of David. The recognition of who Jesus is is the basis of everything that happens here. Luke never stops making the person of Jesus the issue of his gospel. Even today, what you believe about Jesus, the person of Jesus, is the single most important thing in your life. It is on that question and that question alone that all of eternity rests. Who is this man they call Jesus? I would like to share with you this morning three abiding truths taken from our text. First, reason will offer you many excuses for why you can wait on getting right with God. Reason will offer you many excuses why you can wait on getting right with God. That day when Jesus passed by, Barnabas was suddenly faced with the biggest decision of his life. Would he continue to be dependent upon others where he felt safe? Or would he assume responsibility for himself? He chose to cry out. Think for a moment about whatever rut you may be in. Yes, we can continue to blame your parents or society or your nationality or your rotten luck in life or your lack of self-discipline or the, your bad genes that you inherited from your parents or the weather or whatever. You're certainly the free, free to do so. But there is a price for this dubious freedom. But I don't want you to miss the truth that Jesus Jesus never passed through Jericho again. Do you know that the average person does not have all that many good chances to be saved? It could be that you've been through some narrow escapes in your life. Times when you have said to yourself, I could have died. Maybe you've experienced an illness or have some other brush with death. But whatever it is, it got a hold of your attention at least for a little while. It may be that at that time you thought, I don't know that I'm really ready to meet my maker. Perhaps you even intended to do something about it. But once the pressure was gone, you didn't do anything about it. It may be that you have sat in church and service after service when you have felt the tug of the Holy Spirit at your heart, but you didn't do anything about it. Consider with me, Jesus never passed that way again. And there is no guarantee that you will have another opportunity either. You need to understand that if you allow salvation to pass you by this morning, you may never have the opportunity again. When you know that you're lost 
and you know you have no claim on heaven and you want a change of direction in your life, then is the time to act. The prophet Isaiah's warning is still relevant today. He said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. In fact, statistically, the longer you wait, the less likely you will make a salvation decision at all. Tom Rainer in his book, The Bridger Generation, notes that 81% of those surveyed became Christians before they were the age of 19. George Barna's research concurs. He says three-quarters of all people who have consciously, intentionally, and personally chosen to embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior did so before their 18th birthday. A woman once came to Dr. Chalmers and said, Dr. Chalmers, I can't get my, my daughter to come to the Savior. I've talked and I've talked to her, but it's, it's no use. Dr. Chalmers said, well, let me talk with your daughter and let's see what can be done. So one day he met with the daughter and he engaged her in conversation and he said, I understand you've been under some pressure about your soul and your, and your mother has talked to you repeatedly. How about, suppose I say to your mother, I don't want you to talk to her again for a year about that matter. Well, the young lady hesitated for a little while and replied, well, I don't think it would be safe to put the matter off for a whole year. Something might happen. I might die before then. Yes, that's so, said the doctor. So suppose we say six months. Well, the daughter then again thought about it, and she didn't think that would be safe either. So after a brief hesitation, that he said, uh, well, how about three months? And again she hesitated. He said, you know, I don't think it would be safe to put it off at all. And so she and the doctor knelt down, and a few minutes later, she was gloriously saved. Human reasoning may tell you you have plenty of time to be saved. You have plenty of time to get right with God, but that may not be true. Secondly, religion will try to silence your cry for a personal relationship with God. Verse 39 says, Then those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out to all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Those that are leading the way into town, many of whom were probably the elders of the city, they were irritated by the interruption and this unseemly disturbance that he is causing. It says at first, man, at first the blind man called out in verse 38, but then they tried to make him be quiet. And it says in verse 39 that he cried out, and that is an entirely different word conveying an entirely different level of calling out. In reality, the blind man had to yell even louder to get over the voices of those who were trying to tell him to be quiet. So what or who are you allowing 
to silence your request to be right with God. If you cry or pray at the altar or sing too loudly or heaven forbid, if you were actually to raise your hands, what would people think? Anyone that doesn't look like me, dress like me, act like me, believe exactly like me, they're threatening to me. The sad truth is that many people want a church that comforts their challenges instead of challenging their comforts. The blind man knew what he needed, and so he cried out even louder, have mercy on me. His cry for mercy suggests that he understood that he had a spiritual need as well as a physical need. When King David was dealing with his sin with Bathsheba, and at, during that time which he had hidden that sin, he finally came to the conclusion that he needed to confess his sin, and he was dealing with the enormity of that sin. He said in Psalm 51 and verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out all my transgressions. I think the old hymn says it rather well. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than all the riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-scarred hand than to be the king of a vast domain. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world can afford. Beware of accepting religion in the place of a relationship with Christ. And third, reality of faith is seen in the life that is lived. Jesus not only heard the cry of this man, but more importantly, he heard the pain of this man. So in verse 40, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. Mark's gospel adds, Jesus stopped and said, tell him to come here. And Bartimaeus threw aside his coat and jumped up and came to Jesus. In verse 41, Jesus asked the man, when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, on the surface, that seems like a silly question, doesn't it? What blind man doesn't want to see? It's not that Jesus doesn't know what this man wants. It's that Jesus wants this man to admit his need. In contrast with the rich young ruler of the previous section, the blind man did. He admitted his need and he pled for mercy. Now, he could have replied with something generic like, bless me, Lord. We pray that way sometimes, don't we? Bless me. You ever thought about how generic that is and how God would want to say to you, bless you how? Bless you with what? The Lord could ask us, what is it that you want me to do for you? 
There's a point to be made here about being specific about what you're asking for. Not in order that God may need, but in order that you might admit what your need is. Blind Bartimaeus knew exactly what he wanted, and he replied in the second part of verse 41, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has saved you. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now, notice Jesus did not say, your faith has made you see. He said, your faith has saved you. But strictly speaking, it was Jesus who saved him. Now, I want you to listen to me closely or you'll misunderstand me. Salvation does not depend on the strength of your faith. It depends on God's ability to hold on to you. In his letter to Timothy, the apostle Paul said, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. And that day is the day of the Lord's return or the day of my death. Benjamin Warfield put it this way. He said, saying it is not even faith, strictly speaking, that saves. Just Jesus saves through faith. The saving power rests exclusively not in the act of faith or the attitude of faith or the nature of faith, but in the object of faith, and that object is Jesus Christ. We would say that the blind man had saving faith. But what is saving faith? When the Protestant reformers considered the question of saving faith, they found in Scripture three aspects that are essential for true faith. Those three essential elements of saving faith are knowledge, belief, and trust. First, there is knowledge. Obviously, one must know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Secondly, there must be a corresponding belief, not just knowing what the Bible says about Jesus, but believing that that is true. Knowing what Jesus has revealed about who he is and believing it that it is true is a good thing. But even that is not enough because according to James chapter 2, even the demons know that. They know who Jesus is. They believe that he is indeed the son of God. There is the third element, and that is the trust, which is a willingness to cast yourself completely on Jesus. We need to place our faith, our trust in Jesus personally to save us. We must believe that Jesus came to save us personally. He came to save me, not just mankind. He came to save me. We place our lives in his hands. We 
pledge ourselves to follow him no matter the cost. Now let's consider again a comparison of the, the blind beggar and the rich young ruler. The blind man was poor, but he became rich. The young ruler was rich, but he became eternally poor. The blind man claimed no special merit and openly admitted his need. The rich young ruler lied to himself and he, he bragged about his character. The rich young ruler refused to believe and so went away from Jesus sad. And the blind man believed in Jesus and refused <laughs> to go away at all. The former blind man felt grateful and he resolved <clears throat> that he would show his gratitude by becoming one of the Lord's followers. I believe that the reality of this man's faith is seen not so much in his healing as in his willingness to follow Jesus and glorify God. We need to reach out in trust as this man did. Praise God after receiving the blessings from God's hand and follow Jesus. If you want to know if you're really a Christian, then consider this. Take a look at your life. Whom do you follow? What are your great ambitions in life? What drives your life? The one who has really come to know Jesus for salvation will always be known by the general direction of their lives. God has no policeman who will come and grab us by the neck and say, you must read your Bible, you must attend church, you must give regularly to your church. When God created man, he created man superior to all other creatures. He gave us the power and the privilege of choice. He will not force us. With the privilege of, court, of choice comes the terrible responsibility that is ours of living where the results are the consequences of our choices. You have a choice today. If God has been dealing with you, you can choose to obey. Don't let any human reasoning stop you. Don't let any religion or any person persuade you not to have a personal relationship with Christ. But ultimately, the choice is yours and yours alone, and you will live with the consequences. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and its unchanging nature and the way it speaks to our hearts. And it's alive and real, just as alive and real today as it was 2,000 years ago. Maybe there's someone here, Lord, that's struggling with a decision, a decision about salvation, about giving themselves over to you, <clears throat> or maybe a decision about getting right with you. They know they're out of a relationship with you, but they know they need to get right. I pray that whatever the need may be here today, if all these people are gathered here, we all have different needs. But we know that you are able to meet our need, whatever that need may be, if we will just turn over ourselves to you and be dependent on you. And so we look to you, Lord, today.
to meet our needs, to answer the problems of our lives, just as this man, this blind man, turned himself over to you and let you deal with the problems of his life. Father, we look to you today and we pray and ask these favors in Jesus' name. Amen.